sacrifices everything in order to be right, is what the elder brother is doing. Um, this book has forced me once again to look at my own elder brotherishness, and um, not that I, I know I'm not the full-blown kind, um, which is even uh, all the more dangerous in some ways because uh, you get in that mode of saying, "Well, I'm not that elder brother either." But there is a lot of elder brotherishness in me, and uh, so I've been forced to look at that again. And um, the way it man- has manifest- manifested itself in my own life recently was uh, we've actually made, uh, for those of us on the staff in Vestry, we have made a very significant journey since uh, middle of December, latter December, to where we were at the annual celebration when we launched Vision 2013, the Great Call Outward. Uh, that has been about a seven or eight week journey uh, with its own ups and downs and challenges and trying to uh, 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 frame it, be clear about it, articulate it, launch it, and as we move forward with new plans for 2013. And then right after that, I had the privilege of flying to Vir- Northern Virginia to spend time with my uh, college roommate, who is still a dear uh, best friend of mine and a beloved brother in Christ as well. And so wonderful three or four days with, with him. And when I came home, um, it's like I hit a wall <laughs> and a, of depression uh, when we were praying about these mountains that the Lord would remove, singing about these mountains. Uh, th- that's been my mountain uh, since I came back. Um, sometimes it's more severe and sometimes it's less severe. And so this was at least a significant hill of depression that I'm trying to extract myself from. And there's a problem right there. Part of the problem is I'm trying to extract myself from. You see how quickly we get into that kind of elder brotherish work of trying to save ourselves. So um, uh, just uh, have, have, to, have to name that and deal with my own elder brotherishness and um, realize that my dependency, my emotional well-being, my emotional health is totally dependent, not on what I do or say or am, but upon the Lord as well. So uh, this, this particular chapter has been very meaningful to me. I, I need my notes here a little bit. Um, I, I love this chapter. It's my favorite chapter in the book, uh, chapter 5. And um, I have read it a number of times and have been refreshed by it every time. The only problem is, you know, you mark a really good line in it, and then you go back and read it again, and you say, well, this is a really good line too. And then you mark it again, and pretty soon I've, got, I've essentially got the whole chapter marked up. And you know, so there's nothing that stands out because it all stands out. Um, but you know, this one is the one that has the, the, the story of the Vietnam, uh, the brother searching for his brother during the war of Vietnam. Such a moving story. And uh, the, the book that's been published about that some few years ago now, and uh, who was um, uh, honored on all sides uh, because of uh, his pure quest simply to find, um, you know, uh, his brother. And this also has a story which simply moves me to tears even reading it. And I've never even seen this movie, but I'd like to see it. The Three Seasons movie and describing one of the vignettes where um, Hai, H-A-I, or Hay is in love with the prostitute Lon, who is a prostitute simply by economic circumstances and um, is desperately trying to get herself uh, established um, out of that life, be freed from that life, but has to do it to survive, which is the wartime story of many a woman in war. And this is out of the Vietnam War. And uh, Hai, who purchases her services for the night, remember that part of the story, and uh, 
and so that she can sleep um, um, untouched and sleep a full night in a huge hotel bed. And he's there not to use her, but to serve her and give her her heart's desire. Now, that's, um, that's a beautiful love. That's chapter 5, some of those elements. Because remember a week ago, we ended with a cliffhanger that at the end of chapter 4, that uh, Keller's comment is Jesus deliberately left someone out of this parable. And he goes on and says in the last sentence, he did this so that we would look for him, find him, and find our own way home at last, whether we're younger brother or elder brother, as difficult as it can be for an elder brother. The one left out of the story is the true elder brother, because how different this parable could have been and would have been. Um, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't home. It wasn't home. Even, you know, I used to think that the, the noise and the loudness was a lot of fun, but frankly, it's really loud. It's not as much fun. My friends weren't there. It was just totally different. And so I had this sort of nostalgia for home. And when I went back, it was totally different. It was not right. It was not there. And I guarantee that each one of you have had a similar experience. Home is not what we make it out to be in our memories. We have a, um, a longing, I think, to be home. And so you see that very clearly in the younger brother. He's, he's sitting there in the pigsty eating this pig's food or wishing. He wasn't even eating the pig's food. He was wishing he could eat the pig's food. And he says, I got to go home. I have to go home. There's this longing. There's something about home that will be all right and it will be okay. And no matter how bad I've sinned or how bad I've fallen, I know I can go home or at least I'm going to try. But he knows it won't be the same, right? He says, I'll go home, but I can't be the son I was. I'll have to be a servant. I will work for my father. So he had this, this longing to be home. And you see that even a little bit with the older brother. He, he wants to be home. He wants, to be, um, he wants things to be as they were in sort of his um, perfect sort of dutiful word, world. He loved to have his brother working alongside him in this home he's constructed, but it's not filling or satisfying him because he's, he doesn't care about the father he wants the Father's things, right? So he can never be satisfied at home unless home is giving him um, things. And things are never enough. I think we see this um, sentiment, this longing for something in the words of our psalmist. And now he is speaking of, of God. He, he gets it. But, but here in verse 1, it's, it's, I feel like sometimes he's putting these words on on my lips, this is giving voice to somehow I feel. Oh God, you are my God, eagerly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a barren and dry land where there is no water. You ever been in that barren and dry land? That place where your soul is thirsting and longing for something, and so often we plug in this nostalgic idea of home or, or whatever you want. You can plug in money or success or fame. Anything can go in there. But we long for something. But the fact is, we're never going to be satisfied. We're always going to be in this sort of barren, exiled land until we find God. Unless our home is in the Lord, we will always be wandering. That's the story of, of the Bible. The, the whole Bible, all of Scripture almost, is built around this theme. You know, Adam and Eve... 
They're created in the garden to be at home. They're at home. It's paradise. They're walking with God in the cool of the garden. How much better could it get? But they reject that, right? They reject God. They, re- they disobey Him. And, and there's a result. There's a punishment. They are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And there they are, they're like wanderers. They are exiled from God. They are exiled from their home. And they can't get back. And that story continues even when you see um, Cain. Cain, um, is, he killed his brother. And he's punished as well. And God says to him, you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. You shall be one who has no home. Who has no home. We have this longing for Eden and we simply can't get back. The nation of Israel wandered through the desert looking for their home. And when they finally got there, they rejected God again. And they were... They were exiled again, just as Adam and Eve were exiled out of Eden. Israel was exiled out of the Promised Land. They were sent to Babylon, hundreds of miles away. And there they longed for home. But even when they got back, it it wasn't the same. And so, when, when we read this parable of the two sons, it really is striking, and for a number of reasons, but one of which is because Home in this parable is something we long for. It's this great feast, this great party. We can all imagine ourselves there in the loving embrace of our Father. And we want that. Oh, we want that, don't we? But when we try to find it on this earth, it's not there. I was doing a little bit of research for this sermon, and I came across um, a quote by this author. I, I've never heard of her. Donzi Sinna is her name. Um, I stumped, but the quote is amazing. She says this, It's funny. When you leave your home and wander really far, you always think, I want to go home. But then you come home, and of course it's not the same. You can't live with it. You can't live away from it. And it seems like from then on, there's always this yearning for some place that doesn't exist. There's this yearning for some place that doesn't exist. I felt that. I still do. I'm never completely at home anywhere. Never completely at home anywhere. I don't, I don't know this woman. I don't know if she's a Christian or not. But, but she, she echoes what's on so many of our hearts. Home, where is it? Well, we do have a home. We do have a home. It's a heavenly home, an eternal home. It's it's the home that the brother returns to. No, it can't be the same. It can't be what he's imagining. It is far greater, isn't it? That his father comes running out to meet him and, and embraces him with open arms and he gives him the robe and the sandals and the ring and he welcomes him back. And what's waiting for him is this huge feast. And that is home and that's the home we're looking for. Look back at our, our psalmist. He he has this longing, and he's seeking God. Um, and he, you know, my soul thirsts for you; my flesh faints for you. And then, in, in verse five, he says this. So his soul is is yearning for God. In verse five, he says, "My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My soul is content as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth praises you with joyful lips." Do you see that movement from a longing and a searching and a needing to finding God? And he's content as with marrow and fatness and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. 
we have a home, but it's, it's nothing of our own construction. It's, it's nothing of our, our memories. None of those can satisfy us. They will not satisfy you. But we have a heavenly feast, a heavenly home that we return to God when we find Jesus Christ, more, more, uh, more um, appropriately when he finds us, that we will know we're home. That no matter where we are or where we go, we will know we're home in Jesus Christ. Now that, that sounds really good, but what does it look like? Let's consider three things. This is... Um, the feast of the Father. What is it about a feast that feels like home to us, that we recognize we're at home? And the first one is this. The feast of the Father is something we experience. It's something we experience. You know, we can think about it, and we think it's a nice idea, and we can't wait till we get there, but do you know it? Do you know it in your heart? Have you experienced this feast of the Father? Too often, I think, we, we project this into the future, as if um, this life is something we just have to suffer through and wander about, and then when we die, we'll finally be at the feast. Now, in some ways, that's true. When you die, you will finally be at the feast. That will be a lovely and amazing thing. But we can experience that now. God wants us to experience that now. Younger brother, he found this out. Um, He experienced that feast, that loving embrace of the Father, even before he got there, right? The Father came running out to get him and brought him back in. And we can figure it, find it out now. Um, we need to experience it. Now, how are we going to do this? Well, one way is to realize and reflect on what God has done for us. A little bit farther down in the psalm, he says this, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate you in the watches of the night... Oh, he says, my soul will be satisfied when I remember you upon my bed and meditate you on the watches of the night. So one way that the psalmist is experiencing the feast of God right now is by remembering and meditating on what God has done for him. And that is the call of our lives, to remember and meditate and worship God for what he has done for us. And when we do that, our lives begin to change. Our reality gets shaped um, because all of a sudden things don't matter, right? Um, Success doesn't matter. Work doesn't matter. Um, you're satisfied in God. You're satisfied in Jesus Christ. Think about it like this. We, um, we often tell our children, or we generally, our, our society says, it doesn't matter what other people think about you, right? We said that, and, and we want to believe that. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. Well, it kind of does matter, actually, sometimes, because... If you're looking to be satisfied in your job, it matters what your boss thinks about you. If you're looking to be satisfied in your money, it matters what the stock market thinks about you. If you're looking to be satisfied in your family or your children, if that's where your worth is and your salvation is in that, it matters what your children think about you. Because when those things fall away, you're left with nothing. The only way it doesn't matter what other people think about you, if your soul satisfaction is in God, is in Jesus Christ, is in the work of the cross. And so the psalmist meditates on what God has done for him. And we're called to meditate on what God has done for us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, these things will fall away. These things that we, we think matter won't matter as much anymore. So the feast is something to be experienced uh, really quickly. The feast is communal. We get a taste of the feast of the Father in community. Who thinks it's fun to go to a restaurant and eat by themselves? Anybody? Maybe there's a few of you. But for the most part, 
eating is more fun in community. Now, occasionally, introverts, we're going to need to eat by ourselves. But, but in community is where we experience God. It's where we experience the Feast of the Father. In a community like this is where we experience this feast. And finally, so the feast is, um, you experience it, it's communal, and finally, it's, it's material. And what I mean by this is it's something real. It's something real. We, we sometimes have this vision of heaven as um, floating on clouds and eating apples and hanging out with angels. Um, but the feast is more than that. It's something real. It's, it's us going back to Eden, but there being no sin, no desire to turn from God. It's walking with God in the cool of the garden. It's enjoying the community of the faithful. The feast is real. And it's on the table that's waiting for you. Are you going to go home? Will you come home? There's a quote in this book. Um, he, Keller quotes C.S. Lewis, and he says this. Lewis says this. Our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation. Are you longing to be home? Are you longing to be on the inside of some door from which you've always been cut off? Because that is the truest measure of our situation. That longing, it reveals our alienation from God. We could be older brothers. We could be younger brothers. We could be both. But the fact is we're longing and we're searching and we're looking for God. And he has come out of his house to find us, to embrace us, and to welcome us back into this feast that is beyond anything you can ever imagine. Will you come home? Will you come into the feast? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have set this table for us. We thank you that you are welcoming us into it. I pray, Lord, that you would touch our hearts, touch our minds, convict us and give us the faith to walk in and to be satisfied in you and you alone. We ask this in your holy name. Amen.